This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You know by now, patrons heard this episode first. Our patrons enjoy ad-free early access to regular episodes and a bonus episode every month. They also get a shout out. And with that, thank you, Jarna and Taya or Tia. We're not sure which way you pronounce that, but thank you very much for becoming our newest patrons. Welcome to the Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. In this week's episode, we'll be diving into a story that unfolded on a hot August night in 2021 in Peoria, Arizona. Leanne, a nurse and transplant coordinator, sent a message to her colleague, which read, Hey girl, I'm not feeling good at all. Major stomach pain. I'm not sure who I'm taking over for, but I won't be able to as of now. I'm running to the ER by my house if someone can cover, hopefully just for a couple of hours. I'll text Candace in the AM after the doctor. I don't want to text all the girls. This text message was unusual for a few reasons. Firstly, there was a group chat for these kinds of messages. So it was super strange for anyone to contact just one person individually. And secondly, it turned out to be the last message ever sent from the phone. Hours later, the police had possession of the phone after discovering Leanne in her home grazed and bruised. The full story of what really happened to her that night has never been fully unraveled, leaving her family and friends with unanswered questions and a sense of unease. Her name was Leanne Irene Davidson. This is her story. You still think it's in my head But I'm walking with the dead Leanne was born on January 8th, 1988 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was the only child of Lisa Davidson and John Statula. Being an only child meant that she formed strong sibling-like bonds with her cousins and friends. And it was easy to be her friend because she had a bright smile, infectious spirit, and a kind heart that made her instantly likable to everyone who met her. When Leanne was three, her parents divorced. However, Lisa and John remained close and they were successful at co-parenting their daughter. At some point in Leanne's childhood, her family moved to Peoria, Arizona. And in 2006, Leanne graduated from Sunrise Mountain High School. After high school, Leanne pursued nursing, a career that would benefit from her caring nature. She became a registered nurse in 2011 and in 2012, she moved to North Platte, Nebraska where she accepted her first nursing job and moved into a duplex with her husband, Randy. Bubbly Leanne quickly befriended her next-door neighbor, Kristen Theory. 
Paige and I had an opportunity to have an exclusive interview with Kristen. And here's what she had to say about her dear friend. That first Easter, I think we had dinner at our duplexes. Like we just had all these people who came from not North Platte, Nebraska, like from the hospital that had moved there too, to do nursing. And we just had this giant like friend feast. And we did that again at Thanksgiving time. She was super competitive and so am I. So we would (laughs) be like, okay, we're going to see who makes the best turkey. Like, okay, fine. You make a turkey. I make a turkey. We're going to see who's better. And I remember the night before Thanksgiving, she didn't thaw it out. Like she forgot. (laughs) (laughs) And so we were in her duplex. I'm like, I don't know, run water over it. We're like pulling ice chunks out of this turkey. Our hands are numb and we're just dying laughing. And then she was convinced we're going to put oranges in the turkey and lemons and stuff it and then cook it upside down. It was an ugly disaster, (laughs) but we ate it. (laughs) I don't think we ever asked for an official vote because we just weren't going to do that. After around a year in Nebraska, Leanne couldn't stand the cold and moved back to Arizona. But she still maintained a close friendship with Kristen. In 2014, Leanne applied for and was successful with a job working for the prestigious Mayo Clinic Phoenix. While working for Mayo, she earned her Bachelor of Science in Nursing and eventually began working as a transplant procurement coordinator, helping people in need of new organs get a second chance. Leanne and Randy's marriage eventually ended in divorce and she eventually began a relationship with a man named Nate. The two settled down together, bought a house, had dogs, and even had a daughter born in May of 2019. To afford their daughter privacy, we're going to call her Amy, but that isn't really her name. After about six years together, Leanne and Nate grew apart and actually ended their relationship shortly after their daughter was conceived. Two and a half months after the birth of her daughter, Leanne started dating someone else, a man named Jason Beck. Leanne and Jason had attended the same high school at the same time, but it isn't clear if they actually knew each other at the time. Sunrise Mountain High School ballooned in size in 2005, the year before Leanne graduated. And some of the 2,500 students needed to be bused to an old elementary school, which was turned into an extra campus until another high school opened up nearby to take some of the load off of the school. With 2,500 students at the school, it is entirely possible that Leanne and Jason attending the same school was something they found out later, or perhaps they knew each other, but just in passing. According to Leanne's friend and neighbor, Kristen, and her childhood friend, Jesse Turner, the relationship between Leanne and Jason went from woe to go very quickly. The following is a clip from our exclusive interview with Leanne's childhood best friend, Jesse Turner. July, she announced that she was dating. Right. Um, July 19. And then July 26, she was engaged and then got pregnant again with him in end of August, I want to say. Kristen and Jesse felt that the relationship speed was concerning. After Leanne and Jason married on February 10th, 2020, their feelings of worry grew. They found it increasingly hard to get a hold of Leanne and contact became sporadic. After Leanne gave birth to her son with Jason sometime in 2020, contact became almost non-existent. Her friends put it down to her being busy with two kids under the age of two. 
the sleepless nights, the endless diapers. The stress of caring for two children so young is bound to decrease a person's desire and ability to keep up with their friends, even the most extroverted. But when they did have contact with Leanne, it was from a random phone number, likely a work phone. Kristen and Jesse were concerned that Jason was limiting Leanne's access to her personal phone. And therefore, she was forced to contact her friends via her work phone as that was something Jason couldn't stop her from using. Kristen noted in her interview with us that Jason probably still looked through her work phone, but since she was a transplant coordinator, she had to have the phone on and on her at all times when she was working. So he couldn't necessarily stop her from using it. While Leanne did legally change her name when she married Jason, her friends and family and loved ones all continue to use Davidson. Out of respect for them, we'll be doing the same. Kristen and Jesse were right to be concerned. What they didn't know at the time was that behind closed doors, there were serious problems in the relationship. And there were times when the police needed to be called to the home of Leanne and Jason to attend to quote-unquote domestic disputes. I'm putting domestic disputes in quotes because that's the police wording. However, I don't feel it encompasses what the police actually attended to. It was so much worse. One such occasion was on September 12, 2020, when officers Hastings, Babros, and Turpening of the Peoria police attended a call to Leanne's mother-in-law's house. Julie Beck, Jason's mom, lived right next door to Leanne and Jason, like right next door. Leanne called the police for help after she had been locked out of her house by Jason after the pair had an argument and their son was being withheld from her. According to the police report filed by Officer Hastings, Leanne made the call just after midnight. Upon arriving at the address, he found Leanne in the front yard. Leanne explained that the house belonged to her mother-in-law and that she lived next door. Leanne continued that her son, who for privacy we'll call Charlie, was being cared for that night at Jason's mother's house while the pair went out for dinner at the Lakeside Bar and Grill. At the restaurant, Leanne said that she and Jason argued about Jason wanting to see the contents of her phone. So she walked out. She started to walk towards her house, but Jason drove past and picked her up. They arrived home, but went into Julie's house. Once inside, the argument started again. Leanne said that she walked outside to get some space from Jason and he locked the door behind her. She then called the authorities for help with getting Charlie, who was still inside so she could take him home. This statement was taken in the front yard, which had minimal lighting. So Officer Hastings didn't know at the time that Leanne was injured. Officer Babros, who was inside speaking with Jason, let Officer Hastings know that this call was more than a domestic dispute and that Jason had injuries. He was saying he had been assaulted by Leanne and he claimed to have video footage to prove it. However, he said he wouldn't show authorities the footage. Officer Babros also said that there were two other adults in the home, but both claimed to have no knowledge of what happened to Jason and Leanne. Officer Hastings returned to Leanne and shone his flashlight on her, exposing the injuries to her body. She had scratches and redness over her neck, chest, and arms, some of which had already started to bruise. Injuries she would later say were from defending herself. Officer Hastings told Leanne that he knew this was more than a verbal altercation and he needed to get to the bottom of what happened. When she heard that Jason had complained of injuries and claimed to have video proof of the incident, she sobbed into her hands and said that she didn't want to get Jason in trouble. Leanne agreed to tell the police what really happened that night. The information about the beginning of the evening and the argument at the restaurant remained the same, 
And Leanne said that Jason had read a text on her phone and taken it out of context. However, after they arrived back at the house, Leanne said they were in the back bedroom together when Jason strangled her. She was unable to answer the officer's questions about the details of what happened and couldn't recall if she had lost consciousness from the attack. She still said she didn't want to get Jason in trouble and didn't want to share any further information. When asked about Jason's injuries, she said she heard him while defending herself from his attack. Officers then informed both Leanne and Jason that they were under arrest for domestic violence assault and disorderly conduct. One of the other adults in the home that night, a babysitter who had been looking after Charlie, shared with the police that she had recorded video footage of some of the argument, and she agreed to show them. The footage she took showed a very distressed Leanne yelling at Jason, who was sitting on the floor to give her her keys, wallet, and phone back so she could leave. He was refusing. Leanne was heard saying that Jason had beat her in the back bedroom and was now holding her belongings hostage. The footage then showed Leanne hitting Jason across the face two or three times before Jason threw her off of him and took a, quote, running stance. That's when the video ends abruptly. Leanne and Jason were taken to the police station where they were processed and photographed. They were then taken to the Maricopa 4th Avenue Jail. Meanwhile, Jason told a slightly different version of events for that night. In his version, Jason and Leanne had been out to dinner with friends and then stopped at a bar on the way home for a drink. Jason said that the argument started because Leanne's mother had been staying with them and he accused her of being an alcoholic, which was placing a strain on their living situation. Jason continued saying that Leanne snapped when they got back to the house and started to attack him. Again, he claimed to have video footage but refused to show the officers, saying he didn't want to get Leanne in trouble. Officers noticed Jason's shirt sleeve was torn and he said it was ripped when he was swimming earlier. Eventually, Leanne and Jason took the plea deal to have the arrest removed from their records. Leanne completed the mandated classes and paid the fine. However, Jason didn't. Then on February 22nd, 2021, police issued an order of protection against Jason at the request of Leanne. And in June of 2021, police were called to intervene in yet another domestic dispute. According to the police report of the attending officer, Officer Keith, police arrived at the address, which was Jason's mother's home on June 5th, around 4.30 p.m. The call suggested the dispute had turned physical. There were also reports that Leanne's father, John, was outside of the house, banging on the door. When officers arrived, there were five people in the driveway. John and his friend and Jason and his mother were standing on the driveway while Leanne sat inside her father's car. Jason and his mother, who were standing near the back of the car, were ordered to stand by the patrol car. An officer took Jason's statement where he said that Leanne had been locked out of her work phone, and Jason asked his brother to look at it as he was good with phones and technology. The phone was reset and Leanne gained access. Then Jason left to get a haircut. He said that when he returned, he and Leanne began to argue, and she said that she was working and started to use the phone. Jason said that he grabbed the phone from Leanne and asked for a couple of seconds to talk. He said things got physical and Leanne hit him in the face. Jason continued that he grabbed Leanne from behind to stop her from hitting him, then said that she didn't hit him at all and he didn't want her to get in trouble. Like last time, he said there was video footage of the incident, but he refused to show police, instead saying it would only be shown in court. So we have to ask, which one was it? 
Did he not want Leanne in trouble or did he not want to show the video evidence in court? Well, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jason was giving his statement. Leanne was giving hers to Officer Cohn. Leanne said that she had been on her phone working when Jason accused her of cheating on him. He took the phone from her and then held her on the bed. She said he often took her phone and she would go next door to her mother-in-law's house and ask for her help to get it back. Her mother-in-law would intervene and Jason would give the phone back. Prior to this, Jason had taken her work laptop, saying that he hid it so her work would fire her and she would have to stay with him because she wouldn't be able to support herself. There were several attempts by Leanne to escape this situation. According to her statements, she tried to leave and was either dragged or carried back into the house several times. She attempted to run away from Jason and get somewhere safe. She was able to call her dad to come and help her, but That call was interrupted when Jason took her phone from her and tried to get into it, but he was unable to because he didn't know the code. Leanne's body bore the evidence of this interaction. Red marks on her wrist, an abrasion and red mark on her chest, marks on her stomach, and a bruise that may or may not have been from this attack. The marks that the police documented were consistent with the attack she said she endured. She said that she defended herself against Jason and may have hit him in the process. John was a witness to part of the incident. He said that when he arrived, he had heard shouting and Leanne telling Jason to leave her alone. After banging on the door and trying to get into the house, he left for an unknown reason. And when he returned, Leanne and Jason were outside. He managed to intercept Leanne and put her in his car. The police decided that they had enough cause to arrest Jason. He was transported to Pinnacle Peak Public Safety Building, where he was read his rights. At this time, Jason asked for a protection order against Leanne's dad, John, stating that he was an alcoholic. Jason also said that the injuries on Leanne's body were from a trip to Rocky Point a week earlier, that she had sustained the injuries when they were on the water. Jason spent the rest of this interview claiming that he had been the victim of abuse for the duration of his relationship with Leanne, saying he had been hit up to 4,000 times over the course of the past few years. He denied holding her, carrying her, or pinning her to the bed and pointed to an area of redness on his face, saying that it was from Leanne, all while reminding the officers that he had video evidence, but he wouldn't show it to them. Jason was transported to jail and charged with assault and disorderly conduct. Leanne's driver's license, bank card, and both sets of car keys were found in Jason's possession, and Jason was ordered to give back Leanne's named property and one set of car keys. Leanne requested an emergency protection order against Jason. When Jason was released a few hours later, he was informed of the protection order and warned not to return to the house or have any contact with Leanne. Jason ignored this order. And on June 6th, just before 6 a.m., Leanne woke up to the sound of her door chiming, a sound that alerted her that the door had been opened. As Jason was the only other person with a key to the house, she immediately called the police and informed them that Jason was believed to be in the house, breaching the order of protection. Leanne was able to confirm that it was indeed Jason in the house, 
when he entered her bedroom while she was on the phone with the authorities. Jason asked who she was talking to and she said the police. Leanne told Jason that he wasn't allowed to be in the house and he belittled her, calling her stupid and telling her that he was just there to get some things. Jason collected some of his belongings and left the house before the police arrived, going next door to his mom's house. When the police got to the property, they questioned Jason about his actions. Jason claimed he didn't think Leanne would be home, as she would still usually be at work around 6 a.m., or he assumed she would be at their other property in surprise. Officers then reinforced to Jason that no entering the home meant under no conditions, even if he didn't think Leanne was home. It was eventually decided not to pursue charges. After this invasion, Leanne decided to move in with her father. She filed for divorce and only saw Jason for purposes of sharing custody of their son. Leanne seemed to be doing well. Her friends gained contact with her and Leanne started to share the extent of the control Jason had over her during the course of their relationship. Her friends encouraged her to move further away, but she didn't want to leave the job she loved and it would have made custody complicated. She must have been completely done because she called me June of right before she passed 2021 and we had like an hour and a half conversation on the phone and she spilled everything. And, you know, I told her, why don't you, you know, you got to get away. You have to leave. I mean, she was doing everything right. She had the order of protection. She had moved out. She had a, you know, a safe house. She, you know, was filing this and doing that, but always come here so far away but you know she's like well I have the kids and my job and you know if she left what would you know with her son that can you know she could get in trouble because he would never let her and I'm like well you know you can always come here the opportunity is always there I go just please take care of yourself you know don't go anywhere alone you know but I mean piece of paper it's not it doesn't protect you shortly before Leanne was due to be a bridesmaid at her friend Kristen's wedding she and Jason reconnected. Leanne asked Kristen if she could bring Jason as her date as he was trying to make up for things and she wanted Jason to be there. Kristen agreed to this request with a couple of conditions. Kristen said that after the wedding, things went south. On August 29th, 2021, at 2.51 a.m., a work colleague of Leanne's received a text message that read, hey girl, I'm not feeling good at all. Major stomach pain. I'm not sure who I'm taking over for, but I won't be able to as of now. I'm running to the ER by my house if someone can cover, hopefully just for a couple of hours. I'll text Candace in the AM after the doctor. I don't want to text all the girls. This was out of character for Leanne, who would usually send out a group message if she had a shift that needed covering. A few minutes later, around 3 AM, Peoria police were dispatched to Leanne and Jason's house after Jason called 911. According to the dispatcher, Jason was hysterical. He told the dispatcher that he and his wife were trying to reconcile and had been on a date night and that Leanne had ended up getting drunk. Jason said that the two went home and Leanne had thrown up in bed, so he helped her to the shower and left her in there while he changed the bedding. He said that when he returned to the bathroom, Leanne was laying face down in the shower, so he moved her to the bed. And that's when he noticed she wasn't breathing because her stomach wasn't moving up and down. The dispatcher gave instructions for CPR and Jason was heard saying, quote, I can't do it, she's dead, I think. Leanne was then moved to the floor and Jason began performing CPR as instructed and continued to do so until the police arrived to take over. The authorities have several video recordings of this, both police body cam footage and footage from Jason's mom's cell phone. 
it was later discovered that Jason called his mom before he called 911. And once she arrived, she told him he needed to call for help. After help arrived, Jason and his mom were taken into another room. The fire service arrived soon after and took over from the police, who were still performing CPR. While examining Leanne, a small amount of blood was seen on her bottom, and it was decided to roll her over to check for more injuries. When she was rolled, paramedics found road rash-type injuries to her lower back and upper glute area, as well as on her right shoulder. There were also areas of injury to her heels, her knees, and her right arm from her elbow continuing down to her forearm. Most concerning of all was a golf ball-sized lump on the back of her head. Unfortunately, paramedics were unable to resuscitate her, and she was pronounced dead at 3.30 a.m. on August 29, 2021. Leanne Irene Davidson was just 33 years old. From the time that first responders arrived, there had been little hope of Leanne's life being saved. Paramedics later told police that Leanne's body was cold and she had likely been dead for some time. Police removed Jason and his mom from the house and secured it. The house was now a crime scene. Jason was allowed to stay in the house briefly and supervised, only to get dressed. Up until that point, he had only been wearing a pair of boxers. While in the laundry room getting clothes, Jason pointed out to the accompanying officer that the bedsheets were in the wash because Leanne had thrown up and he had washed them. In the bathroom, first responders found a towel with what appeared to be blood and hair on it. A small amount of dried blood was found on the wall outside the primary bedroom on the door leading from the garage to the house. And then there was a small Ziploc bag of water on the bed, which many assumed to be a homemade ice pack that had melted. After he was dressed and left the house, Jason was questioned by the police about what had happened that night. Jason told the police that for the five days leading up to then, he and Leanne had begun seeing each other again. He said they had to keep it quiet because there was an order of protection that prohibited him from being around Leanne. He said that the day before, the 28th of August, Leanne arrived around 2.15 with their son, Charlie. Jason took Charlie next door to his mother's house. She planned on taking Charlie for the afternoon and evening, going to church and a soccer game with her grandson. Jason said that he and Leanne went out for dinner and drinks, first going to the Haymaker restaurant for a glass of wine before heading to Arrowhead Grill for dinner. Arrowhead had a wait for a table, so the pair went to a neighboring restaurant for another drink before returning to Arrowhead for a meal. Jason said that Leanne was eating bread and joking that she was drunk, but he felt that she was really drunk. After dinner, the pair went to Roadrunner where they had more drinks. Jason estimated that Leanne had around eight drinks throughout the evening. When they got home, Jason said that Leanne was stumbling and bumping into the walls and when she got into bed, she vomited. He said he asked if she was okay and she responded with noises. He said he helped her into the shower and assisted her with getting the vomit out of her hair. He then left her to finish showering while he changed the bedding and started the laundry. He said he cleaned up the vomit by scooping it into a Walmart bag. However, he couldn't remember what happened to the bag after that. When he checked on Leanne a short while later, she was face down in the shower and that's when he called his mom and then 911. He said that he called his mom less than a minute after he realized that Leanne was in trouble and his mom took around a minute to arrive at the house. While Jason was giving his statement, Authorities were examining the scene for evidence. As well as the blood that was mentioned earlier, police found damage to the car that was in the garage, a GMC Yukon. The passenger window was cracked in a quote-unquote spider web, with the impact originating outside of the vehicle. Police were unable to find anything in the garage that they thought would have been responsible for the impact. 
Leanne's cell phone was located and put into airplane mode. At this point, the first responders called in their findings and detectives were assigned to the case. Jason was asked to consent to a search of the home and of his cell phone, to which he agreed. During the search of the home, officers found more blood. In addition to the smears on the door from the garage and in the hallway, and the blood and hair on a towel, they found blood stains on clothing, bed sheets, and inside the Yukon. Jason was interviewed again and asked how Leanne sustained the injuries to her body. And it was at this time Jason changed his story, saying that he had remembered driving home via a gated community, which was a shortcut. And Leanne said she needed to use the restroom. Jason said that he was going around five miles per hour when Leanne opened the car door and exited the vehicle, falling onto the road. Jason said he stopped the car and helped Leanne to urinate on the side of the road. Jason continued that Leanne seemed okay after the fall and he said that she was drunk. The rest of his story remained the same, with Leanne throwing up in bed and needing to shower. When asked about the bruises on Leanne, Jason said they would likely be bruises on her breast from sex they had earlier. He maintained that he didn't know she was bleeding, he didn't know how blood got in the house, and said he didn't know the passenger window of the car was broken. During these interviews, Jason was not under arrest. Leanne's body was removed from the house and taken to the medical examiner for an autopsy. The medical examiner found that Leanne's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. As for her road rash type injuries and scrapes, the ME found that these injuries were consistent with those someone would get when exiting a moving vehicle. Strangely though, no asphalt or rocks were found in her head wound or in her skull. It's interesting to note here that the ME found that Leanne's bladder was full. According to Jason's story, Leanne peed on the side of the road on their way home that night. So why would her bladder fill up again if all she did was go home, vomit, and shower? A private autopsy was also conducted. As with the first examination, the injuries were consistent with exiting or being ejected from a moving vehicle. The injuries Leanne sustained would not have incapacitated her right away. Instead, she would have been alert and able to move under her own power for a short time afterwards. The private autopsy noted the injuries were, quote, consistent with a fall jump out of a moving vehicle. However, being pushed out of a moving vehicle or other inflicted trauma cannot be ruled out, end quote. The manner of death was listed as undetermined. It's also important to note that Leanne did show a moderately high level of alcohol in her system. After over a year of investigation, Peoria police changed the incident type from death investigation to homicide. Detectives felt that a charge of negligent homicide was warranted and sent the case to the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The following month, the County Attorney's Office informed the detectives that they wouldn't be prosecuting, citing no reasonable likelihood of conviction. This is an outcome that disappointed Maricopa County Attorney Rachel Mitchell, who had said that if any new evidence is uncovered, she will review the case and assess the likelihood of conviction again. This outcome devastated Leanne's loved ones, who feel like they still don't know what happened the night Leanne died and don't know if they ever will. They want someone to be held responsible, someone to account for what happened to their loved one. They feel for Leanne's children who would grow up not knowing what a kind, caring, and loving person their mother was. Those babies will never know the type of person their mother was. And that is extremely sad because she was somebody worth knowing and she they all were robbed. Leanne's friends and family want her story told. 
They are hoping that someone somewhere holds the key, the answer, and that someone will come forward. But I'll fight it as much as I have to. So right now, I think for all of us is just getting Leanne's story out there and hoping that if there's any person who was in that area or was at any of those restaurants, saw something that wasn't talked about that will come forward. Whether they saw him push or she jumped out of the vehicle on that road. Make sure you're following us on all of our socials at the Murder Diaries Pod, or you can reach us at the Murder Diaries Pod request at gmail.com and check out our website, the Murder Diaries Podcast.com. Until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.